Hello, it's me, Hey Good, also known as Eric Good in real life. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest and ADHD Adventure. Listener LK Scout asked us, how do I support an ADHD partner? So this week we're going to be talking about ADHD and relationships. Listener Grisha Small also asked us about ADHD and parenting. Now neither Katie nor I have children, but we, like most people, were children at some point, and so we talk a bit about that as well. If you would like to ask us questions, please feel free to email us at infinitequestpodcast at gmail.com. In the second half of the episode, we talk to licensed clinical social worker Alex Hogue, also known as Allosaurolophus on TikTok, who specializes in ADHD, PTSD, and anxiety. As always, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash infinitequest if you'd like to help support the show. Or if you're not strapped with cash, it also helps to rate and review our podcast wherever you listen. Without further ado, here is Season 1, Episode 14 of Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest, Relationships. Transition. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14. Hey, Eric. I just want you to know that I think you're doing a great job. Katie, I was so... I just started. I was so... Thank you very much, though. You're doing a great job, too. (gasps) Hi, everybody. Thank you. Also, I think you're really talented. Oh my God, Katie. <laughs> do you, have you ever heard of task? This uh, is my task. vengeance. This is what you get for making me I, wait I for know, like I do this an hour and a half. Have you ever heard of task re-engagement, Katie? Have you ever heard of task re-engagement? No, that's not real. I don't believe in it. The ta- oh, once, you, it? once you go away from a task, it ceases to exist and you never have to go oh, back to it Oh, it's very again. real, that's the rule, Eric. It is very real. Task re- yeah, basically because of people with ADHDs, working memory is, is, is terrible and akin to somebody very advanced in years um task re-engagement is basically when we stop doing a task and get distracted we forget that it exists and so it's not only is it hard for us to start tasks but when we stop doing it um we are like we were it's pretty much impossible for us to keep doing it i mean it's not impossible but it is monumentally difficult anyways hi everybody welcome to season one episode 14 of katie and eric's infinite quest and adhd adventure i am hey good and i'm katie Osaurus. that's right and today we're going to be talking about relationships. This by is special a, request, we're talking right, about by, relationships. By special the people request. have spoken, Eric. That's right. That's right. They have. They're like, wow, these people, their relationship is so functional. They, they seem to just be, <laughs> they never bother and annoy each other they to death. They must be experts. They must be experts. And uh, well, then you're also married. So there's also that. I am so, married. That is a true fact. But I, but I also, I, I also really want to point out that when we're like, when I say relationships, I don't think they meant nor do i think people only want to hear about romantic relationships i think relationships that has to do with professional relationships with your coworkers. that has to do with relationships with like roommates and friends as well as romantic relationships and spouses and all that you know yeah well i mean it might seem really trite but i think fundamentally every healthy relationship whether it is a romantic one or a business one or a friendship one or whatever they're all kind of foundationally built on the same components of you know respect and understanding and trust and that kind of thing and so i think that regardless of you know whether you're boning like there's a lot that you can you can talk about in terms of relationships like exclusive of the romantic element but i think a lot of it is applicable across the board for interacting with people with adhd and that's a question that we get asked a lot um 
And actually, I have the specific question right here. Um, LK oh, nice. Scouts, yeah. Um, LK Scouts from over on TikTok would like to know um, how to be supportive to our ADHD partners. And we mentioned this in the last Q&A podcast that we did, but we thought it was such a good question that now the entire episode is dedicated to the question. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's kind of the, the theme of last week's episode or, or that episode was like, oh, wow, okay. We actually need to dedicate much more time. Turns out we We're need an entire hour. <laughs> to talk about a marriage <laughs> more right? than seven minutes. Um, and then similarly, uh, Grisha Small, we also mentioned them last week, uh, wanted to know uh, how to be a supportive parent. So we're looking at like different types of relationships. We're not just talking about romantic, but it's a it's a theme that we get a lot, I think, is, is how do I support my ADHD partner? What does my ADHD partner need? How do I relate to my ADHD partner? And conveniently, here we both are with ADHD. So Eric, how can I support you and your ADHD? Oh, well, Katie, Tell thank you so it. much. Um, well, I think it, it, it does sound trite, but I think ultimately the, the main thing is, and God, I, I, I feel like I'm jumping the shark myself here, but um, is communication, really. I think a lot of work that is done in relationships in general, neurodivergent or otherwise, a lot of work is spent doing guesswork, wondering what the person needs and wondering what the person wants when... In reality, you could just communicate that with each other. And so I think having avenues to communicate your needs to each other and be able to have open and I hesitate to say nonviolent, but open and sort of non-judgmental, safe conversations. Confrontational. Non-confrontational. Yeah. yeah. Non-confrontational. Yeah. Um, conversations about what we need as people to sort of be the best version of ourselves for a partner. So for example, with me, um, a big thing that I do is I lose my train of thought <laughs> and it's really helpful for a person when I lose my train of thought to just wait for me to get it back. And so I'll sort of just hold my finger up and go, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Give me a second. Give me a second. And if I get it back, great. If I don't, then I'll just say, sorry, I lost it. Um, but a lot of times I'll have, you know, friends who, when I do that, will sort of take the conversation back and say, Oh yeah, well, what I was thinking when in reality, like I was, I was in the middle of something. I just, I'm sorry. I just forgot. Um, and I've said to people like, hey, do you mind just when I lose my train of thought, do you mind just giving me a second to try to get it back? And most of the time they go, oh yeah, of course. Like they were just trying to sort of fill dead air because the social contract says that, you know, dead air <laughs> needs to be filled. Yeah. And so most of the time they're very receptive to that. And so that's like one of those little things that when I learned that about myself, I tried to make a point to communicate that with other people um, that, you know, if I lose my train of thought, just give me a second, perhaps I'll get it back. And most people are very accommodating to that. But then also- it's, you know, it's a two-way street. If it's, if I'm sitting there trying to get my train of thought back, I'm not going to sit there for five straight minutes insisting that the other person doesn't talk while <laughs> I try to remember what I'm going to say. Like I have to be reasonable about it. So I'll, if I sit there and go, okay, well, sorry, hold on, hold on. I was talking. Usually they'll say like, oh, you were talking about this. You were talking about this, which is also very helpful. Um, but after 15 seconds goes by, I'll just go, ah, I lost it. I'm sorry. And then we'll go from there. So it's, 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 everything is sort of a two-way street. A person can do what they can to accommodate you, but you also have to be aware of, of what you're sort of asking for. Um, I think. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah. Good note. Good note. Good talk. Podcast is over. <laughs> Excellent. No, I mean, I, I think what's, what's interesting though is, is for me, a big part of it has to do with 
and this is something that keeps coming up on like on on the TikToks that I post is is specifically defining terms within your relationship. And again, that that doesn't necessarily mean like just a romantic relationship, but like parent, you know, child relationship, student teacher relationship, boss employee relationship. But the defining of terms, I think is really, really important because I don't know why I'm going to make this about kink, but here we are. Um, but one of the <laughs> things, but it, but it has to, it has to do with that. Right. Because like most kink education, like I would say 99.9% of kink education is written under the assumption that both parties involved are neurotypical. That is how most people go through the world with the assumption that everyone understands things in the same lens as you. And so like when I, started dating and when I started, you know, being in relationships, I realized that there are very, very simple terms that a lot of people with ADHD don't necessarily understand the same way that people without ADHD do. Things like now and later and today and tomorrow and next week and maybe like those are all very simple words but if you tell me we're going to do something later what does that mean like that means something completely different to me than it means probably to you than it means to the people listening to this but you have to define that right because like oh i don't know let's just say for uh, example uh if your wife has wanted a dog for a really really long time and then you say <laughs> yeah we'll get a dog later well, what does that mean? What does that mean, Chris? What does it mean? I want to know. <laughs> and it's like, I tease Chris all the time because like, that's a conversation that we have a lot is like about our hypothetical dog. Um, but like, that's the thing that like, if Chris and I didn't have such a good relationship, if we weren't, if we weren't so understanding of each other, like that's the thing that could like actually lead to like a lot of resentment. It's like, well, you said we could get a dog later. Well, Chris means next year. I'm talking about like, well, maybe this afternoon would be more convenient, you know, (laughs) but that's the thing. And it's, and it's, but it's stuff like that all the time. You know, it's, it's, we'll, we'll plan the family trip later. You know, well, you didn't plan the trip, you know? Well, yeah, because we're doing it later next year. Not, you know, I don't know, like I'm, I'm making the point very poorly, but I think that there's a lot that can be said, honestly, like how we say things, if that makes any sense at all. No, I think you made that point very well. I think, I think ultimately what you're saying is that it's it's imperative to minimize ambiguity. Yes. I think a lot of terms that people don't think of as being ambiguous, once you get into like the neurotypical realm, they become very ambiguous. Um, like if you know, you and I both have ADHD. Did you know that we got to stop doing that? We we bring that up all the time. Constantly, you know we get oh it. You have ADHD. <laughs> um, but for example, you and I both said we're going to record at two p.m my time in California or 5 p.m. your time. But we both sort of had this understanding that like, okay, we're going to use it and we're going to set up our stuff and make sure we have water, try to record as close to them as possible, but but who knows? And so there wasn't a lot of frustration there. And then once once the time started to get a little crunchy, you were like, hey, Eric, we got to start going. And I was like, okay, and we, and we did it. That's since we both had the same understanding of what two o'clock meant, that worked very well. However, if one of us were neurotypical, and we were to say two o'clock, 
and like, let's say I with ADHD, I'm going like, oh, two o'clock. That means we're going to sit down. We're going to like drink our coffee and be like, okay, how are we doing here? What's going on? Do you have anything you want to, that would really bother, I think, a neurotypical person. I imagine. I don't know. I'm not neurotypical. Um, but because you and I have a, a similar understanding of what two o'clock meant, it worked out just fine. And so I think ultimately minimizing ambiguity in a relationship, especially when it comes to key terms, is very important. And I think in order to minimize ambiguity, you first have to identify what is ambiguous. And that takes a lot of communication. So for example, the word now, why would one expect that that is ambiguous? Now means right now, you know, whereas to me now means, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, before you don't start a new big project, you know, and so I think having open and honest communication to other people with, with, with whatever relationship you're in, be it a professional relationship or with your child or with your spouse or with your podcast partner, um, having open and honest conversations such to identify those points of ambiguity and reconcile them before they become a problem. I think that's a huge thing. Just trying to identify what terms are ambiguous to your spouse or, or person you're in a relationship with. Yeah. And I mean... And sometimes it, it, and sometimes it also involves having the humility and the, be, I'll say it this way, the ability and the humility, even if you've been in a relationship for a while, to be able to look vulnerably at your partner and say, hey, there's a lot of conflict. Like we're having a lot of conflict in this specific area, like this one specific thing. And why, like, why is this happening? Like, why does this keep coming up? And like, and I don't think Chris would mind me talking about that because we've talked about it on like TikTok live and stuff, but like one of the biggest things that we had to work through was the fact that done means something very different to me than it does to Chris. Like, and, and, and one that I, that comes up a lot uh, when people are asking me for like advice and stuff is clean. What does clean mean? Oh yeah. Does clean mean oh, yeah. spotless? Does clean mean tidy? Does clean mean there's no dishes? Does clean like and that's something that like, especially with parents of kids with ADHD, like that is one where I'm like, that's a conversation that if you haven't had that conversation, you need to sit down tonight and be like, let's talk about what clean means. Let's talk about what done means. Let's talk about what finished means. Because those look so different in my brain than in Chris's brain, than like in my mom's brain, you know? And so it's like all of these people in my life having, you can't read minds. I mean, I do for my job, but you can't read (laughs) minds. Right. And so going into, you know, any sort of relationship, like even like I've gotten talked to a couple of times at my previous job because my office was messy. And that came down to the fact that I had to look at my boss and be like, here's what organized means to me. I need to know what organized means to you because clearly like we're not on the same page and that's okay. But like, I really need you to stop coming and telling me that my office is messy when like, this is a system that works perfectly well for me. So let's find a middle ground. Like, what is the thing that upsets you? Like, how can I fix, you know, like that kind of thing. And it wound up being like a really productive conversation, but you have to be able to have that awareness. You have to be able to realize sometimes like in the moment or, you know, reflecting on the moment that 
oh, it's not that my boss hates me. It's not that my boss thinks that I'm doing a bad job. It's that we have a different understanding of what organized looks like. We have a different understanding of what clean looks like. Um, and again, it comes, it comes down to finding, I think that, that, um, Hey, Eric, what was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you were talking about, uh, identifying like what organized means to your Somebody... boss. And you... Oh, oh yeah. It just comes down to, or finding that middle ground. Somebody drove by my window on a cool bike and I got distracted. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's on brand, Katie. It's on brand. Well, I think it. I think another big part of it is is understanding and identifying what the common goal is. Yeah. And so with like a boss, it might mean, you know, I let's say you're uh, my dad was a journalist for 30 years. So let's say a journalist and whatever project you're working on, whether it's a piece or graphic, it needs to be done at five o'clock on Friday. It needs to be done to a certain standard. It needs to be accurate and it needs to be done on five o'clock on Friday. And so that is would be in that situation, the goal between you know, my dad and his boss yeah. at the time. And so, well, actually, I'm going to use this as, as a direct, uh, as a, as a direct uh, uh, anecdote. So my dad is, he, he has ADHD um, and his workflow was very much sort of strange, I guess, <laughs> to an outside observer. Um, he had toys all over his desk or all over his office and he would just sort of have them around and play with them and stuff. And he would, uh, you know, pull weird all-nighters and then work really hard for like stretches of time and then kind of much more relaxed other stretches of time. But he got his work done. He always got his work done. And um, which is not to say that he had a great relationship with his boss. But I think in that circumstance, it would be imperative for, say, him and his boss to sort of identify what they both need. What we both need is for the work to be done at five o'clock on Friday for, you know, print on Monday or Sunday, whatever it was. And then just sort of realize that we have the same goal here and our, both of our incentives are to get, to achieve that goal. How can we do that? And I think a big tool in that is uh, nonviolent communication. I think that's sort of what we're identifying here is, um, so there's this technique of nonviolent communication, which has an interesting history, which I won't get into because I'll just start talking about it. But basically it consists of four stages. Um, and the the goal of it is these these conversations that we have about, you know, uh, trying to identify terms that are clearly, you know, two, two people in a relationship or are using different ways. Those can end up being involuntarily contentious, um, where one party feels insulted because, you know, they feel that the other person is saying, you're a bad person because you don't clean your room in this certain way. Um, when in, in reality, they don't mean that. They're just trying to, to identify and, and solve a problem. And so nonviolent communication is sort of a technique to to more functionally have those conversations without feeling offended or put off by the person that you're talking to. And I so the first stage of it, do this. Oh, oh you're well, just going to answer. <laughs> Sorry. I was, I was just... like, that's great. But like, how do you do it, Eric? <laughs> oh no, that's it. You have to figure that out. <laughs> that's just, just Google um, it. It's fine. Thanks for coming to the podcast, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Well, we did this a lot in, uh, in, in my LARPing days actually, because, well, that's I'm sorry, whole could you thing. sound can you sound cooler while you say that sentence? Uh actually, uh so back in my LARPing days when I was doing a lot of role playing. Actually, uh, when I was doing my LARPing and my LARP, I'm working on I'm working on it. I'm getting better at it. That's that's a reference to my character in our D D episodes. So there's a little cross-promotional thing here. That was, um, that, was a, that was a little Easter egg for the fans. <laughs> but so the first part of nonviolent communication is making observations. Just things that you 
notice to be true from your perspective? I've noticed that when I ask you to do this, I am, you know, we, we end up getting into a fight or something like that. Just, just observations. These are not judgments. These are not, you know, some huge character attack. It's just, I've noticed that we get into fights whenever this happens. The second part is to bring up how you feel about those things. And I feel, you know, I mean, and these are specific We love emotions. an I feel statement. We love, I, love feel I feel statements. Statement. Well, the idea behind that is that you can't deny that. If somebody says, I feel sad when you do this, you can't tell them they're wrong. That, that, that's just objectively true. So the second part is to just talk about how it makes you feel specifically um, to sort of understand where the other person is at emotionally. And then after that, you can start talking about what you feel that you need in order to remedy the situation. So Katie, I've noticed that when I ask you to clean the kitchen, we end up getting into a fight later that night. And that makes me feel, uh, I'm just thinking it's funny. Like I, I, I'm usually the one that does the cleaning and I, I really love, well, that's, that's not true. I looked at it. When I was cooking for you at your house, like we, we had a very good cleaning relationship and I was very proud of that, frankly. I was I really liked our cleaning schedule there. ADHD. I want you to um, know that like my rejection sensitive dysphoria is so strong that like in that moment of you using my name as an example, I went, oh my God, did I like do something? I'm so sorry. Like I immediately was like oh. just so like I was just so sorry because I would never do anything to hurt you and I was like deeply worried that I had and like that's like a real thing that just happened to me in this moment and I'm okay and that's okay. oh Katie I'm so sorry <laughs> no because like, I just like constantly worry because like that's part of like RSD and so you're like well when you like and I was like oh my god did I ever like not clean the kitchen when he asked me like I'll clean the kitchen better I'm so sorry Eric it's a real thing that's a real thing that just happens <laughs> Well, it's funny. I was doing the opposite because I was going to use that as an example, but then I realized that I was very satisfied with with how we clean the kitchen. Yeah, we Again, did a really good job. I think you and I both have similar definitions of what cleaning the kitchen means. So that's awesome. Anyways, step three of nonviolent <laughs> communication Sorry. is identifying what needs, uh, what your needs are, in order to to remedy that situation for you. And so let's say hypothetically, Katie, hypothetically, hypothetically, we, you know, I was dissatisfied with the way that you clean the kitchen or I clean the kitchen or, or vice versa, whatever. Step one would be, I've noticed every time cleaning the kitchen comes up, we end up getting into a fight later. That makes me feel sad because I love you and I don't want to get into a fight about something so trivial. And I think we can, we can solve this. What I need is for us to have a common understanding of what clean means and what like now means or promptly means such that we don't get into those fights anymore. After that, you can start figuring out what the specific requests are. And this is an important part because it's, it's very easy to have these conversations, but then have them not bear any actual fruit. So it's important in the fourth step of nonviolent communication to specifically identify this is specifically what I'm asking for. So when I say, can you please clean the kitchen, you know, tonight or now or whatever, I mean, I want the, the counters clear, the dishes to be done, uh, the, the clean dishes put away. That's a big one. I've gotten yelled at a lot in my life being like, Eric, you did the dishes, but then you left them in the dryer rack for three weeks, you know? Um, and so ending with specific requests for, how you know we can bet we can remedy this situation and come to that common understanding that is so essential in functional relationships. And I think with ADHD, a lot of times 
there are not common understandings of things that a neurotypical might assume there are out there are just are inherently common understandings of things like now and tonight. Um, and so using nonviolent communication can very effectively identify what those terms are, what those ideas are, and uh, arrive at solutions. So you make observations, you talk about the feelings around that you have surrounding it. You talk about what needs you have and what requests you have. It's all very, it's very centered around, around yourself. You're making your observations, your feelings. And that's not to be selfish. It's just so that you don't end up speaking for the other person. Yeah. Um, well, you know what occurs to me that like we haven't said yet, and it's just like the most basic, obvious thing that I feel like we should have started with. <laughs> is like benefit of the doubt man like just benefit of yeah. the doubt like just knowing that we're not being like this on purpose mm. like it is it's not a willful thing like if i could wake up in the morning and just hooray and huzzah clean the kitchen make it spotless and you know maybe little cartoon birds would fly around and it would be great. Like that would be, that would be amazing. Like I would love that for me. Like, of course, like I, that would be amazing to have that motivation and the focus and all of that stuff. But like when you have ADHD and depression, sometimes you don't. And I think a lot of people come to me asking for advice. And Alex actually talked about this a little bit um, on his TikTok today about people who come to him and ask him about like, well, how do I make my partner do this? Or how do I like get mm. my partner to do things certain ways or whatever? And it's like, we're trying and remembering that we're trying. And sometimes we're trying a lot harder than you might know. Like on the surface, externally, like, I don't think it looks like I try very hard. And I'm going to be very honest about that. Like my, like my house is messy. There are seven dirty dishes within eyeshot of me right now. And I feel like you could look at that and say, Katie is not trying very hard. But what that actually meant means is that Katie spent this morning doing two loads of laundry and trying to make some TikToks and failing, um, you know, and, and, answering a couple of emails. And so I forgot about the dishes. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean that I'm dumb or willful or whatever. It just means that, you know what, I was doing other stuff and I only have a limited amount of brain power to spend on, did I take the cups from my office? And so if sometimes you might need to remind me twice, Sometimes you might need to remind me five times. And I hate that about myself. I hate that I can't do everything perfectly on the first try because I'm a burned out, gifted, and talented kid. And if I can't do it on the first try, I immediately internalize it as failure. But that is the reality of living with my little collection of mental illnesses. And so coming to me and saying, well, I need you to change. I'm like, I would love to. That'd be, that'd be amazing. That'd be fucking great if I just woke up in the morning and didn't have to worry about it this way anymore. That reminds me, Katie, I've been meaning to ask you, um, I need you to change. Okay. I'll just, just take different sweater, different, <laughs> I made it about a clothes job. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> that was, was so, that was such I that also, was obviously I was kidding. Obviously I was kidding, but I, I still felt bad. I was like, oh, that was mean. That was okay. It was, it was, it was, it was like a 
I would say it was a medium funny joke. It was a medium. It was a it was a solid five point five weeks. It was like a. I would give it like a four point three if I'm being honest. But that's okay. Thanks. It was fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but that's the thing. And so it's like when people come to me and they're like, "Well, I can't get my partner to do this," or like whatever. I'm like, maybe they just can't today. And like, that is. And being able to support your partner when they can't do stuff and being able to say, okay, we've talked about our definition of clean and we've talked about our definition of done. How can I support you? Putting away the forks is awful. I hate putting away the silverware. It is my least favorite Mm -hmm. thing in the world. I will let it go for five weeks. Like they'll, they'll sit in the dishwasher. They're clean. I washed them. I hate putting them away. So like Chris does that. Because he knows that that like, because that's a thing that we've talked about. And he's like, you put away all the other dishes I can contribute. I can put away the forks, you know? And it's like any relationship, again, not just romantic relationships are built on mutual respect, you know? And like, even if it's like a teacher student, even if it's a boss employee, it's still in a way a type of partnership. Like a student and a teacher are a partnership in a way. And it's like, there's so many accommodations. There are so many ways that you can help, but it comes down to the individual. It comes down to the individual person and what they need and how you can support them. And like, I'm primarily an attentive slashy combined, you're hyperactive. So like what you need in school or what you need from a boss is going to be completely different than what I need. But like both of our needs are valid and both of our our, our needs are important. And if we can get those met, you know, if we were working for the same person, they might have to send us two different styles of email, but ultimately the partnership there of supporting us as their employee is going to be far more beneficial and far more useful than saying, no, I refuse to accommodate Eric, but I will accommodate Katie. It's like, just throw some bullet points in that email, homie. Like, that's all I need, Like you know? And it's like, and I just get really heated up about it because I feel like so much, and I know that I'm just like ranting at this point, but so much of it comes down to just communication and, and advocacy and advocating for yourself and your needs. And it is okay to look at somebody that you are dating or married to or partnered to or whatever and say, can you put the silverware away? Because it's really hard for me. Like, just because you are the person with ADHD in the relationship doesn't mean that you're not allowed to ask for things. Like, <laughs> Eric, I'm going to say this and you are going to laugh in my face about it and it's okay. But like, I'm so if you excited. have ADHD, like you are not an inconvenience and you are not a burden. Now, have I internalized that? Absolutely not. Am I sitting here <laughs> laughing at myself going, <laughs> the irony of it all? Yes, I am. But that's the thing is like, I feel like there's such this, this trend for, for people with ADHD to have internalized this idea that like we're broken or there's something wrong with us or like we're always inconveniencing the people around us when it's like you have time blindness and you have executive dysfunction. Of course you run late and you can't find your keys. Get yourself some friends who will help you look for your keys. Like I don't like, you know, like I, that was a weird yeah. way to end that, but there you go. No, absolutely. I think, I think it runs you the, the concept of, um, I guess, outsourcing. We're like, if I, well, it makes me think of two things, one outsourcing and two permission. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, let's say, uh, let's say you and I were married, Katie. And, okay. um, and every time I leave the house, there's like a one in 10 chance that I will forget my keys and lock myself out, which there is. And so every time I leave the house, you say, 
Eric, do you have your keys? Eric, do you have your keys? Nine out of 10 times, I am going to have them. And I'm going to go, yes, Katie, I have my key. Well, hopefully I wouldn't do that. I would just like to say for the record that we are not married and I do that every time. (laughs) You do. (laughs) And thank you. Eric, do you have your keys? Do you have your wallet? Do you have a mask? Great. Cool. Now we can leave. (laughs) You don't have to be married to do that. I can just care about you very much. That's very true. So nine out of 10 times, I will have my keys. And my brain will go, why does Katie always tell me? Like, I have my keys. Oh, gosh. But that one time when I don't, you will have just saved the day. (laughs) Um, And so, which brings me to the concept of permission. I think it's important for the affected partner or the person making the request to say, I give you permission to sort of hound me about this, I suppose, in specific circumstances, not all of, you know, mm-hmm. given in a specific circumstance. So if I say, Katie, you know, thank you for remind one, I'm at, can you please just ask me if I have my keys every time I leave the house? Because that, so one outsourcing to somebody else who's willing, I mean, within reason, and they, they have the right to say no, if it's too much for them. Um, it comes down to, you know, being honest and communicating if, you know, oh, like if you were to say, uh, you know, Chris, your husband, I just can't clean the kitchen. Therefore, I never will. Like that might be a little too much, but asking for reasonable accommodations, like, can you put away the forks? I would yeah. say that is reasonable. And yeah. really so did Chris. So if I say, Katie, can you ask me to, if I have my keys when we leave the house together, like I'm giving you permission to do that and also asking for you to do that. You might say yes and say, yes, I will. (laughs) And so during those nine times when I do have my keys and you asking me is annoying because I'm like, oh, yes, I have not. I'm not a child. The fact that I've given you permission, like I I remember, okay, no, I I gave you permission to do that. I told her that she was allowed to do that. Um, You might still be a little like mad in the moment or feel belittled, especially when you have ADHD. I mean, when you have ADHD, it, it, it really feels like you have to be treated like a child sometimes. And that is like not fun, but you might still be mad that, you know, you'll say, do you have your keys, even though I already have them nine out of 10 times, but I'll remember, that's right. I asked them to do this. I gave them permission to do this. You know, they're not just being mean. They're not just being belittling. I asked them to. And so I think permission is a big part. Permission to, you know, I forget things all the time. And so if somebody has to remind me, I might get annoyed by them. Like, I know, why do you keep reminding me of that? You know, it's like, oh, because I, t- I asked them to. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and so permission and outsourcing. So outsourcing certain things, like I'll, I'll frequently forget this. Could you please remind me occasionally? I know that's, you know, you're asking them. That's a request, not a demand. Yeah. And well, that's remembering what I, like, that you ask them to do it so that you sort of can, I guess, not, not forgive them, but so that you can, sort of use that as like, so you can maintain that as a, as a functional tool in your relationship that, you know, you remind me to, 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 to make sure I have my keys before I leave the house. And I remind you that you don't have to apologize every time you talk for more than one minute. You know what? I didn't come here to be attacked (laughs) in this way. Well, okay. So what I was going to ask though, is like, how do you, and I don't know if like, I don't know if I have an answer, but how do you skirt the fine line between like <coughs> wanting, like wanting or needing to outsource and saying like, hey, it'd be really helpful if you put away the silverware or ask me about my keys or remind me to take the trash out on Tuesdays or whatever it might be. But then also like obligating somebody into that, right? 
because like, that's the thing that I worry. Like I'm terrible at asking for help. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I almost died because I didn't want to inconvenience the hospital. Like that's a real thing that happened to me in my life. Like how, like, how do you look at somebody and say, Hey, ask me for my key, ask me about my keys, but then not make it like, and now it's your job to always, like, I don't know how to do that. Good, man. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, good. I think it comes down to like, it's again, it's a request. You know, you're, you're, you're really asking them. You're not saying, yeah. I mean, you're not, yeah. You're do, not telling them like, you have to do this or I'm going to be mad yeah. at you. It just would and be it, helpful to me. And I think it, again, it comes down to like being honest and communicating accurately. Like, so if I say to you, would it be okay if you did this? I'm trusting you to be honest if it's, if it's not okay. You could be like, hey, dude, I'm also trying to remember all the stuff that I have to remember. <laughs> you know, So honestly, no, I can't because I have needs that would stop me from, from meeting my needs. And so I think it, it comes down to, it's much, it's much easier to ask for something and advocate for yourself if you know the person is going to respond in an honest way, even if it's not the answer that you would have wanted. Yeah. So like if you have a friend who's like, the, the gender normative way of doing it is, is yes, man. But if you have somebody around you who, who just agrees to things can, that can be really stressful for the other person because you don't know if they actually want to do the thing. They're just going to say, yes. If you say, yeah. Hey, you want to go see a movie? You're like, yeah, if you want to go see me, let's go see a movie. Like it can be, it can get kind of stressful. Do they actually want to go? And so if you have a friend who you, or a, a friend or partner or, or boss who, you know, will say no, then it relieves you of the burden of having to wonder if they're, if they actually are, are consenting to do the thing that they want to do. You know that if, if you say, yes, I'll remind you to look for your keys, you are actually okay with it. You're not resentful. You are actually okay with it because if you weren't, you would say no. And being um, able, I think, to negotiate that as well. Like kind of what you were talking about earlier. Like if I looked at Chris and said, you know, I'm, I can't clean the kitchen. Therefore I will never clean the kitchen. That would not be fair, but there have absolutely been times in my relationship where I'm like, Hey, I can't clean the kitchen today because I am too sad and I can barely get out of bed and I'm really sure. And you know what? And then he goes, okay, cool. And then he goes and cleans the kitchen. Like it can be an ongoing negotiation and an ongoing balance. Like just because you you decide one thing one day, like it, it can always change and it can always develop and grow and, and shift. Um, but I think that, I don't know. I think that also comes down to just the idea that like, you have to be able to not worry about them being a yes man. Like you have to, yeah, you have to be, you have to have that trust. You have that, have to have that mutual respect and, and trust. And I think that's like really important. Yeah. Like Chris isn't gonna, if you say I'm too depressed to clean the kitchen, do you mind? And Chris says, yes, he's not going to go. He's not saying, oh, yes, uh, like I'll do it, but I'm going to be mad and bitter about it. Like he's saying, yes, yes, I can do that. Like I understand that. that is, yes, I can do that. It's sort of it's really counterintuitive that like sometimes you have to say no to make somebody more comfortable, because then when you say yes, you really you know that they really mean it. Yeah. I also I just want to point out to you and to our listeners that I'm so aware that like you're married and I'm not. And we're talking <laughs> about relationships. So every time I talk, I'm like, why am I why am I talking here? But, but I mean, I, I've you, you occasionally talk to other people like and because, again, <laughs> like this isn't the like, I mean, I feel like this is a, a situation where like we're just going to keep coming back to this topic because there's so yeah. much that we can talk about. I keep really like I'm looking at my notes and I'm keep going like I that is holy shnikes. Like I have so much to say about this. I don't know how we can fit this all into one one podcast. But I, I think 
I think ultimately like the bullet points are one, you have to be, you have to be fiercely honest. You have to actually say what you mean, but you need to say it in a way that doesn't make the other person feel like you're attacking them um, and arrive at, 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 a, at a language that allows you to do that. Um, and I think, <clears throat> I think something that we've sort of skirted around but haven't said directly is realizing that you're on the same team is that yeah. you both yeah. want the same thing. And so figuring out how to get there is in both of your interests. Um, well, like in, in working in like professional kitchens, if things got really sort of chaotic and it's like, oh gosh, we, you know, we're, we're on the line and things are getting really busy and things are starting to get hectic. Somebody might yell like um, one goal, one goal, which basically means we're all do on the same team here. We're all trying to do the same thing. So if two yeah. people are getting mad at each other or something like we're all trying to achieve the same thing. And so I think remembering that in any relationship and I, I consistently identifying and re realigning with that goal can really help you remember like, Hey, we're on the same team here. We, we both want the same thing. Well, conveniently, Eric, uh, we have a therapist in our waiting room who is very oh excited gosh. to talk to us. Yeah. About communication and ADHD relationships. Hey, congratulations, you made it to the middle of the episode. Coming up, we have our conversation with licensed clinical social worker Alex Hogue, also a longtime friend of Katie Osborne, and all-around lovely human being. Again, please do consider donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash infinitequest, where you can listen to raw, unedited recordings, as well as sort of special impromptu episodes when Katie and I are just sort of cleaning our house and hanging out. Can't find them anywhere else. We're so close to reaching our first goal of having enough money to hire an editor to edit our episodes so our audio quality can be consistent and we can focus more on producing content rather than sitting, clicking buttons and stuff. Oh yeah, we also are starting to have merch available on our Redbubble shop, redbubble.com slash people slash infinitequest. If you have any ideas for merch you'd like to see, please feel free to email us at infinitequestpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Without further ado, here's our interview with Alex Hogue. Today on the podcast, we have TikTok's Alisor Lofus, also known as Alex Hoge. He's a licensed clinical social worker specializing in PTSD, ADHD, and anxiety. He's also a former brewmaster, deckhand, stonemason, no, barista. No, I, I played stonemason, <laughs> barista, uh, carpenter. Carpenter, you, play, you played a stonemason? I did, in Stud Circles Working. Oh, so that would make you a former actor? Well, I just haven't acted for a little while. I, I, I haven't quit. I just haven't been in a You're show. always an actor. You're always, always an actor. Life oh, is of course. And I suppose this perhaps... so the, weird. <laughs> perhaps the most important thing is also a very longtime friend of the lovely Katie Osborne. Is that correct? This is true. It's yeah. true. I have known that kid since she was 14. I got her hooked on 14. caffeine. It's all my yeah, fault. I am pretty sure that you served me my first cup of coffee. I'm like... 90% certain at this point. Like I've tr- I've retraced the timeline. And 25 I... years I've been providing medication for the ADHD folk. And here we are. <laughs> and now you're on my podcast, which is wonderful. It's and in full circle. It, it kind of, is this the weirdest part of 2020 is Katie <laughs> got a podcast? Like, I don't I just, know. I'd, I want to hold old baby lion up over the cliff edge. Just like, what happened? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I've known you for a very long time, which sure. is super fun and cool. And now you're on TikTok, which is also super fun. How are you finding TikTok? Do you like TikTok? What's, what's, what's happening with TikTok? 
TikTok is bizarre. It is. It's like a weird, surreal, supportive place full of like fantastic humans and also the worst trolls in the world. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, it's such a really cool, unique experience because one of the big things that actually stresses me out the most is like I have all this stuff in my head and I want to like give it to people because uh, that's what I do for a living. I'm a therapist and I want to help people and I want to help as many people as I can. And I can only see like 43 people in a week before my head explodes. So now I can do like little one minute snippets and sometimes it helps people and it's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I I like your stuff when I remember to watch it because I have yeah. a terrible friend and I always forget. And then I go, oh yeah. And then, but it's like nice because it's like binging on Netflix because then I have like seventeen yeah. of your videos to watch you, at one you, time. You, you, you watch them and then they make you feel very uncomfortable, darling. You do. I feel personally attacked by most of your videos. I need you to like. I'm just gonna be very honest. Like I watch them and I go, oh no, oh no. Like that's what I do <laughs> a lot. You know, it's a good video. It's the eye contact, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's a little bit of the eye contact it's also like i just feel like you know like you just know i'm just like he knows he knows that i need this one today like i feel like that a little bit sometimes <laughs> so alex we are talking about uh today's the the word of the day is relationships um and we're talking about adhd relationships um not specifically the romantic kind but the, we're including those under the umbrella sure. uh, but hey you're a, you're like a you're like a therapist guy you're a guy I, who I am a therapist helps guy. people with yeah. their relationship problems True. uh do you have any brilliant insights and cool thoughts about this is so weird interviewing you this is so weird i don't know how to do this I don't know how to do it. It's fine. We're leaving that in. If we don't make eye contact, it's not weird. We keep staring at the Zoom screen, like, huh? Yeah. But okay, uh, you're you're wise and you're smart, and you've you've uh, you've. And I have ADHD. You have ADHD. um, Ah, which we're gonna get to that in a second. uh, Yeah, and I and and I'm married to someone with autism, so yeah, it's just a. It's like uh, the neurodivergent club here. It's yeah. yeah, It's it's just always a party. Every day. So. As a therapist, yes. but also as a person with ADHD, yes. uh, what have you learned about navigating like ADHD relationships? Like, how does that work? How does it, what do you have? I don't know. Well, I Talk, mean, Alex. Jesus, <laughs> so demanding. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like with it, it, there, I don't think there's much of a difference between like an ADHD relationship and any other relationship in that in everything, communication has to be the core of everything. And that's not just like the partner communicating to the ADHD person or the friend communicating to the ADHD person. The ADHD person has to like pick up the rope and do some tugging too. Um, Because if we can't learn how to express ourselves, express our wants and needs and express how we need to be engaged with, then things will burn badly. Uh, yeah, kind of like that scene from Invader Zim where Zim's like, Gur, you made the fires worse. And Gur says, worse or better. It's just like that. Uh, <laughs> every gosh darn day. Are we allowed to swear on the show? Oh, Can- fuck, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank yeah. fucking Christ. Okay. <laughs> God. Oh, you were were you nervous for a minute? Were you like, oh no? I used to work on a tugboat. I I I, I, mm, I can make whole sentences out of profanity that make complete sense. Um, so yeah, um, it really boils down to 
the ADHD person being able to be completely 100% uncomfortably honest with themselves and their partner. Like, one of my big things that I had to get over was being reminded. We were just talking. We were literally just talking about that. that. Oh, my God. I would rather have another vasectomy than be reminded to do a task that I already know I have to do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, we were just talking about um, the idea of permission. We're like, for example, whenever Katie and I are in the same place and we leave the house together, she always says, do you have your keys? And most of the time I do. And my brain goes, oh, I'm not a child. You don't have to remind me. But every once in a while, I don't. And so I had to like be honest with myself to be like, hey, Eric, there is a good chance you forgot your keys. And right. it, like, so you have to give her permission to do that and realize that she's not just being mean. And so that's right. like, oh, yeah, it's it's, it's the ADHD right. person has to get over that as well. Yeah, right. Well, because for so, for so much of our lives, we get chided for forgetting things. We get chided for not being perfect. We get chided for doing something amazing one moment and then absolute you know garbage the next and people go well what's wrong with you why are why can't you be perfect all the time and you're like well why can't you shut your hole and (laughs) we get really really defensive about it because yeah it's hard it's hard to have adhd sometimes i mean other times it's like the the coolest thing in the world it's like being a, a turbo powered tiger made of lightning and you're just like thundering through the world and then the rest of the time it's it's really hard and then the rest of the time you're sitting there going where's my other fucking shoe (laughs) (laughs) i had two i swear to god and wow yeah i apologize for any kind of like weird sound out here um mother nature um forgot that is it snowing there right now well you you know how like it doesn't snow for a while here in iowa and then all of a sudden mother nature goes oh shit i've got all this stuff here guys take it all um, yeah, yep. that's what's happening outside. We're getting about ten inches tonight. Oof! Wow, I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous of snow. It's like sixty five degrees here. Right yeah. Now. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So, do you have any like do you have any concrete strategies for how to arrive at, I guess, solutions or or okay. strategy or, or or techniques for, I, I, yes. I guess I, I suppose oh, I, well, techniques okay. for one communication and and not hating each other. Okay, so, uh, so yes and no, because remember that every single person with ADHD is an individual with individual experiences. And also, like, our symptoms are all different, too. Like, we have similar symptoms, but our symptoms, like, my impulsivity is all entirely unpleasing. Like, my yeah. wife, like uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, my wife said, honey, I think we should I want to befriend crows. And now we have like 15 bird feeders in the yard and I made a crow altar that I've sprinkled with trinkets. Um, well, that's I, just awesome. I, <laughs> that, I think that's, that was the right choice. That is I sweet. think so too. But my wife goes, how much did you spend on bird feeders, honey? And I have to say oh, some. Um, so yeah, I guess. Okay. So one, one of the big things is to learn to get past your own anger uh, for the, uh, so starting with, a, starting with the person with ADHD, uh, learning to get past your own anger is, it's not something that happens overnight. And I think so many of us wanted like, you know, we want it right now. You know, we want it to happen like today, tomorrow. And this is something, I mean, I've been married for 21 years and my wife is the most patient person on the planet. Like she could seriously give Buddha lessons, like <laughs> while patient. 
Uh, <clears throat> Dalai Lama told her she was really chill. Um, that's actually <laughs> that, 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 like when she met him, he's like, wow, you are very calm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That actually happened. Um, <laughs> and I just kind of giggled. I'm like, you don't even know, man. She's been married to me forever. She had to stab me once. Um, yeah, like learning to get over your own anger, like realizing, like doing some like good, like shadow work, doing that like good internal work and exploring where that rage came from, where that anger came from. Because, you know, anger is hardly ever anger. When we look at anger, we have to look at what's underneath the anger. Anger is a mask we wear to feel powerful and strong. So when we look at anger, we have to look at what's underneath the anger. It's always, you know, fear, fragility, sense of powerlessness, sense of helplessness. And, you know, so we look at that because we often feel embarrassed, shamed, things like that. And, you know, underneath anger is a lot of that. It's all that powerlessness. It's all that shame. It's all that self-loathing. And the thing is, like, when somebody tries to remind us to do something, it automatically triggers, boom, shame, boom, powerlessness, boom, guilt. And so we immediately will retaliate with anger. And I mean, this goes back to like when we were teenagers, like it really started when we were like 13, 14, 15. And somebody would remind us, like our parents would remind us to do something. And we'd be like, yeah, mom, I know. I'm going to take out the trash. God, go away. <laughs> I'm going to do my homework. I am. I wasn't going to do my homework. <laughs> I never did homework. I still got a 4.0. Um, I, I did like five minutes before class. Uh, sometimes it works it uh, all the way through high school actually the only time I actually had to start studying was like halfway through college um, Alex are you a recovered yeah. gifted and talented kid a <laughs> little bit yeah Hell since, yeah. since well, uh, second grade yeah I got pulled into tag in second grade when our school because the school based therapist uh, assessed me for ADHD when I was in second grade but because I had such a ridiculously high IQ and because all of my friends were adults, because kids my own age were stupid. <laughs> uh, and, so I, well, my, and that was when my dad was going to Palmer. Uh, he was a, he, my dad's a chiropractor, Eric. Uh, Palmer's a chiropractic university here. And uh, so I hung out with all of his friends because kids my age were idiots and couldn't make sentences <laughs> and didn't like things called books. And it made me sad. So I hung out with adults that could discuss philosophy and quantum physics. Uh, so when I got assessed in second grade, the, our school psychologist, Dr. Canray went, Oh no, he's just bored out of his mind, which was true. Uh, and so I got, I, they tried to bump me from second grade to sixth grade. And my parents said, no, that's probably bad for him emotionally. But they completely missed my ADHD. Actually, I didn't get a, I didn't get fully uh, properly assessed for ADHD until I started working at the clinic that I'm working at now. When I took Whoa. the, yeah, I took the, yeah, I, I, we kind of, yeah, I know, I see you there. Boop. Yeah. No, finish your thought. This is. Just, I'm just remembering. Oh, you're remembering. Okay, that's a. Oh, that's a remembering touch. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm um, just. I'm just waiting for you to finish. I'm not. Yeah. I just didn't want to cut and you off. I, I was. I actually, when I started working at the clinic that I'm working at right now, because we actually have in-house testing, and I took the Connors test for the first time just to see what it was like, so I could advise my clients. And he came back, and I said, "Hey, Doctor Ludwig, uh, <laughs> does this mean I have?" He's like, 
Whoa. Have you ever been medicated? No, I have not. How did you get a master's degree? Like, it wasn't easy, boss. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I wanted to clarify, you use the term shadow work. What is yeah. shadow work? Oh, shadow work. Uh, that's like a, it's a more of a pagany term, but it's more like the internal working of like the, the deep self-work, the deep like digging in and going, okay, uh, really acknowledging your feelings, really acknowledging like not only the feelings that you're experiencing, but where those feelings came from. Because in today's society, especially, especially as a man, uh, we get told to push down our feelings. Big boys don't cry. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, Control your shit. Stop being such a baby. Why are you acting like a girl? Pull up your bootstraps, blah, 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 blah. And Mr. Rogers, gotta love Fred Rogers, says, you know, the what reason. Up? Oh, man, right? You know, Mr. Rogers, he says, you know, the reason that people say don't cry is because they're uncomfortable with your emotions, not you. So really what you should do is sit with them and go, you know, it's okay to cry. I'm going to hang out with you. And so like, but yeah, doing your own deep work and going, okay, well, where did this anger come from? Where did it, where is what's underneath the anger? Where do I find what's really going on with me? You know, and I had to really do some heavy duty digging because I mean, I've actually got pretty decent parents. I mean, my mom was a therapist uh, before she retired. And uh, my dad is a chiropractor, which, you know, so they're, they're both fairly like holistic and approachable with a lot of things. So they helped me with a lot of stuff like growing up. They helped me create study plans and things like that, which probably saved my life uh, and my scholastic career as well. But, you know, um, they still would say things like, well, why can't you get this right? You know, and, and the thing is like, they were always supportive but it was always those like sideline those little like offhand comments you know but you uh, i think katie did one a while ago on tiktok where it was like you can hear like they, they can say 25 positive things and you'll hear that one small negative and that's <laughs> yeah. and that's the bone you pick your teeth with for the rest of your life so looking at it and going okay well why am i experiencing this and realizing that this partner this person that is in my life is not the people that hurt me. Oh yeah. I think, <clears throat> I, I think I really like that you said earlier that being honest with your partner, but also being fiercely honest with yourself. I think that's, that's perhaps the, the most, Im- I think that is, yeah, that's definitely the hardest part for me <clears throat> specifically. And I imagine for other people, because oh, yeah. you can only ask for needs that you know, you have. Right. And so exactly. doing the, the, the self exploration, to figure oh, out what yeah. those are and also not being sort of ashamed of them. So realizing oh, yeah. that I need to be reminded of stuff that I'd rather not, you know, need to be reminded of, oh, but realizing yeah. that about it yourself. And then it's, and that's hard. And I think right. being able to go on that like journey with somebody else in a safe way is imperative and being able to create spaces and, in, and like, and I think, I think in a practiced way, um, mm-hmm. being able to create spaces where you can talk to your, to your partner or coworker or child or teacher um, and say, hey, once a week, can we check in or something like that? Mm-hmm. Because also with ADHD, it's really easy to set, to think, oh, we'll get to it. Like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about that at some point. My um, wife and, and I And then just kick the can down the road. Yeah, we actually establish, uh, we have three nights a week where we do check-ins. After my daughter goes to bed, uh, we will do uh, nightly check-ins. Well, we do, we do a daily check-in every day just to kind of see how we're doing. But then we'll actually have like a couple nights a week where we have our own little town hall meeting. And we sit down and go, okay, what's going on? What do we need to talk about? How are you doing? How are you doing really? My wife is very good at that. Yeah. Uh, 
because I have a tendency to push myself literally to the brink of collapse on a regular basis. And this year with the quarantine and COVID and the COVID fatigue, I have been busier in the clinic than I've ever been in my life. Like I work a four day work week and I see about 41 to 43 people a week right now in four days. That's so many people that that's, and those are one hour sessions. So yeah, it's, that's, that's a lot. Like the average therapist sees like 32 to 35. And that's like a, that's like a super busy week. Yeah. So I've been this, this whole year I've been rocking and rolling and, you know, but, but I, but, I have, they, they, they need me. So I have to be there because I have people that are losing their fuzzy little minds and <laughs> they, they just need some extra support. So I've been doing that, but then also I'm not supporting myself. So my wife is there going, Hey, you okay? Do we need to go buy Legos? What's going on? <laughs> the answer to which is always thing. yes. Always. So yes. how, so I'm, I'm fascinated by this though. Like how does that something that, because you've been married for 21 years. Yep, 21 so years. How at what point in the 21 years did you guys decide that okay, we need to do first off like m- more than once a week check-ins, but then like did you develop that system like kind of organically? Like how did uh, that well, come to be? This fascinates me. Actually, I love this. It's so healthy and wholesome. Yeah. Actually, after our first year of being married, we almost got divorced. <laughs> um because things were not good. And so we went to see a therapist. By the way, every therapist should have a therapist. If your therapist doesn't have a therapist, and they <laughs> have a therapist, you should freaking fire them. Uh, I have a therapist. I don't see them very often. Um, sometimes it's just like a co-therapy session. Uh, <laughs> how you doing? Dude. Yeah, I, I just want to like lay on the floor and breathe and like, spoon (laughs) i don't know um but yeah like my my wife and i went to see a therapist for a while because we did care very much for each other actually it was funny because we actually went to see a therapist to find the best ways to support each other during our divorce process Hmm. and the therapist looked at us and went you want to make sure that each other okay and take care of each other during the divorce process why are you getting a divorce (laughs) Right. That's a good That's your inclination. <laughs> and we said, because uh, things aren't working super great right now. And the therapist said, yeah, things don't always work super great. Maybe we need to work on some systems. Systems. It's I do love me like some systems. systems. Who doesn't love systems? Systems, systems well, I are think- life saving. I think, so I, I say this all the time, but like, uh, well, I, I used to study classical music and it really contextualizes how you think about processes and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, especially in things as, as, as nonlinear as relationships, it can be really easy to go, oh, we're bad at this right now. Therefore, we are just bad. We are oh, yeah. just bad at this. When oh, in reality, sure. there, are, there are strategies <clears throat> and techniques and things that you can practice right. that that at least perhaps remedies or addresses those problems. Right, I think absolutely. that's, I'm sure as a therapist, you must see stuff like that all the time, well, that's, either that's in like, relationships or just within one's own brain. That's like what right. therapy is for though. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's recognizing this moment is not good. Well, I'm right. Things are neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Whoa. Wow. This yeah. has been your Shakespeare moment with Katie and Alex. 
Oh, that was Shakespeare? Shakespeare was the first sociologist. Like, really and truly. If we look at it, she, uh, old Bill, man, he, he knew what was up. And he was studying society. And he was like, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to teach people to be less shitty. But I'm going to do it with soap operas. Wait, no, we can't call them. <laughs> Soap's not even a thing yet. Wait, we're going to call it... <laughs> plays yes we will do and i'll put out like history plays i'll put out a lot of them but i'll make them like not current so people don't feel threatened <laughs> and maybe maybe my work will teach people to be less shitty to each other it, it didn't it's uh, some of us learned some of us learned some of us learned <laughs> um, um but it's true it's like things are neither good nor bad but thinking makes it so you know well like you could say like well, i'm in a bad relationship okay well Things might not be good in the relationship, but that doesn't mean that not either of you are bad people, or maybe it's just, you know, trying to figure out how to make things suck less. And that's actually like the foundation of my therapeutic process is I tell people like, we're not going to fix everything, but we're going to make things suck less because in every day, a little suck must fall. And we have to realize that there's always going to be sucking every day. Like so, p- too many people think that, the, that, you know, life should be like a Mentos commercial and it's just, fucking <laughs> not. it's just not, I mean, we are lied to by media. We are lied to by television. We are lied to by novels. You know, we are, ho- we are held to all these different stereotypes. Men are supposed to be strong and never cry. Women are supposed to be, you know, amazing cooks and gymnasts in the bedroom. And, you know, uh, the, the perfect wife and we're we're not we're imperfect beings and the the more we actually revel in our imperfections the better off we are how, how do you think expectation plays into i guess tumultuous times in a relationship and friction in a relationship oh it's our expectations that always always disappoint us if we are stepping into a relationship with specific expectations i mean that, that there are certain things that we should expect. Like we should expect our partner to be able to be present, but also then making sure that when we're checking in with our partner, asking them, are you capable of being present right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think. Yeah. I mean, the other day, my wife and I were uh, having heavy discussion and I was making a statement about specific disappointments that I was experiencing as far as what she agreed to hold up her end. And she looked at me and she said, at this moment, I cannot handle criticism. And I said, Oh, cool. All right. I'm going to, I mean, I didn't say it quite like that. I got a little salty, but I'm like, you know what? Cause you're imperfect. I am. I am an imperfect being. And I try to actually point those things out in my TikToks, And it makes some people feel very uncomfortable that I am imperfect. Uh, but I think it's important to show that like even people that are educated in this stuff have flaws and struggles. Hey everybody, it's me, Katiosaurus, but Katiosaurus from the future. Whoa, fancy. So I just realized as I was editing this podcast that the next part is not going to make sense uh, unless you know that it was at this juncture that Infinite Quest had the absolute honor and wonderful opportunity to talk to a person who I'm a huge fan of, Alex's daughter, Evelyn. She came in the room to check out what the heck was going on. Uh, And so, yeah, that's what happens next. So that's where this new person comes from. It's his daughter, Evie. So there you go. Do you want to say hi to Katie? (gasps) Yes, please. 
Come here, hot rods. <gasps> what up, kid? Oh my god, you're so tall. You're so grown up. Like oh my gosh. Six. How are you doing, kid? Good. Good? Evelyn, you know, I have a question. Hello. I have a question for you. Look at the pictures. Yeah. I have a question for you. What what is this is this is for the podcast. Uh what is the best part of having a dad with ADHD? Um be honest it's okay <laughs> i put you on the spot um willingness to go to stores and restaurants that's good like, you are the most you are this is a true story about you you don't know this but you are the most adventurous eater that i've ever met in my entire life you eat things that i would be terrified to eat and i find that so impressive and brave and bold like i have mad respect for you my friend just so you know she is very, very good at trying new exciting <laughs> things. Well, d- Daddy likes to cook, and we like to go and check out new places. So we actually did a whole like we haven't done well, COVID kind of like squashed it. But we were doing a Evie eats the world series, the world series yeah. where like I, I, cool. I, uh, I'm a I'm a big fan. So yeah. just one recommendation. Okay, spicy baby octopus salad is not the best. Yeah, that, you know that combination ah. of adjectives. Just it will, and, and to be spicy fair, baby that, octopus salad. That, yeah, that, that octopus <laughs> is not especially good octopus. We will try baby octopus salad again sometime. In a better, in, but not at a buffet. E- Evie, do I have your permission to name my my eventual band after that? Spicy baby octopus salad. Hell yeah, that's, that's awesome. a, a good great, band name. That's a great name for a band. <clears throat> that's a great very band punk, name. Very punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Also, was the octopus rubbery? How was the octopus cooked? Because I thought I didn't like octopus for a long time, but if it's cooked well, if it it's it was rubbery. It was rubbery. Ugh! It was not. Yeah. That. You, it's like chewing on a octopus. tire. I have good yeah. octopus is good. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But rubbery octopus is not good. No. It is not good. Uh, I it's, will concur that octopus was garbage. <laughs> it's um, like we, chewing on an eraser. It's oh yeah. 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 Hey, buddy. Henry wants to be on the podcast too. Well, you know what? It's a it's a party. The end of this podcast is going to be very weird, and that's okay. (laughs) Our producer Brian is telling us that we have to move on. Okay. So, so Alex, closing thoughts. Last, last little, uh, little nuggets of wisdom. You know, little little chicken nuggets of wisdom. What advice do you have for people who are dealing with like these sort of like relationship issues and these relationship struggles? Um, you know, as a person with ADHD, as a ther- fancy therapist, as a, Hon- as a honestly, dad if you and can, if you can do it, cool guy, go see a therapist. Like, go see a th- like as a couple and as individuals, go see a counselor who's experienced working with ADHD, which I, I know isn't like super easy to do, but it's actually becoming a lot more common. Uh, because honestly, sometimes it helps to have a referee in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Sometimes it helps to have just someone else who is nonpartisan to bounce thoughts off of. Um, and remember that, it, yeah, as we were talking about earlier, just really don't be afraid to do the deep internal work. Like explore why you're experiencing this, because, you know, it's not just a reaction. It's not just somebody else being mean to you. It's, your history of your perception of people being unkind to you. That is what's flavoring a lot of the intensified reactions because remember that RSD is trauma, period. Rejection sensitive dysphoria is its own 
specific flavor of trauma. It's, you know, it's an ADHD, people feel it, but also, you know, people without ADHD get it too. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to explore our own trauma. I mean, that's mostly what I do all day long is, you know, dig around and find trauma with people. And it's all about uh, all the negative stuff that comes along with ADHD. You weren't born hating yourself. And you've got the rest of your life to learn how to appreciate yourself. And then eventually maybe even like yourself and, ooh, you know, maybe someday down the road, as cliche as it sounds, you got to learn to love yourself. Yeah. I'm looking at you, smarty. Yeah. <laughs> I was studiously avoiding eye contact with my love computer you, bitch. You can't hide behind the microphone. Sorry. Oh, so I'm just going to stay right here. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. okay. One, I have like a, like one, maybe kind of like, that was a beautiful close, but now I want to like just ruin it with another question. Oh, well, I got, I got cool. one more too. I got to do my, I got to do my, my thing that you. I know. I was going to, I was going to let you do that for the last thing, but this is okay, my question. Okay, okay. What would you say to yes. this is, and this is a question that I get a lot is I get, I want help with my ADHD or I want help with my relationships or I want help with like X, Y, Z thing, but I've had a very bad experience with therapy before. And so now oh. I am deeply mistrustful of therapy in general. Like, what do you say to those people? Like, what would you say to somebody who's like, I don't know about therapy. It seems. Little- I will say the same thing that I say to anybody who walks into my office. Yes. Just like anybody else. There are garbage therapists out there. And I'm sorry, but okay, well, here's the thing is, okay, not every therapist is cut out for the individual. Um, just it's like, like dating. Yeah, just like it is. It's just like dating. Absolutely. If you don't find a therapist that clicks with you, whether there's not chemistry, I mean, I'm gregarious as fuck. <laughs> but there are people that don't pair up with me, and I can usually tell that within the first three sessions. Um, and I will let people know, like, hey, I don't think this is going to jive. Let me refer you to someone else because I want to make sure that you get the care because, you know, I think a lot of the time we forget that it's not about a paycheck and it's not about ego. It's about helping people Mm -hmm. because again, therapists are human too. So realize that, yeah, okay. There are a lot of bad therapy experiences. I had one when I was a kid, I, I went to see somebody when I was 17 and I wound up stabbing him in the leg with a pen. Um, Yep. That's that the statu- was... What's the statute of limitations <laughs> on stabbing somebody with a pen? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He, he actually got in trouble for me stabbing him in the leg with a pen. It's fine. Uh, that's, that's good. <laughs> there's a whole weird backstory to that that I can share Your later life on the podcast. My life is fucking the best weird. Netflix series. I'm so excited <laughs> for it. It's going to be amazing. I have definitely had a unique life. That is true. Uh, there, there's nothing textbook about my experiences. Um, but yeah, like if you have, if you've had a bad experience with a therapist, that's not your fault. That's That's, super valid. That's not on you. You know, usually within the first three or four sessions, the therapist should be able to tell if it's going to work. And just like anything, we shouldn't have to force it. Like, there are parents that send their kids to the therapist and they go, you need to fix my kid. I'm like, well, you broke him, man. Maybe we need to do some work on you first, dad. Uh, they, they don't like that answer, by the way. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is there's kids that are forced into therapy and then the therapist is like, oh, shit. Now I got to try to do something with this kid that's already hostile. That's great. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like look at when you were experiencing therapy. Did you give it a, did you actually give it an earnest chance? 
did you engage um, or did you walk in there with a the chip on your shoulder trying to, you know, make him shake a crystal ball and try to figure out what's going on, you know, because uh, I certainly did. That's super oh, valid. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Alex, uh, our producer, Brian, is telling us that we have to move on. I'm so sorry. Uh, you've been just the best guest in the whole world. But we have one more very important question for you. Eric, hit him, hit him with the magic, baby. All, yeah. right, all right. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, Alisora Lofus. <clears throat> Alex Hoge. Would you? Hoge. See, this is why I asked. <laughs> would you rather play every instrument in the world masterfully? Or speak every language on earth fluently. Every language on earth fluently. I'm a therapist. That would totally make me more marketable across the board. <laughs> good. Good answer. Certain a sweet. bilingual therapist is incredibly valuable. And if I could speak every language in the world, that would mean that I would not have to uh, learn new languages. Every, every language. Well, um, Alex Hogue, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And it's also nice to actually meet you. You've been in my radar forever. And oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a level. It's lovely to meet you. Yeah. You too, man. It's very nice to meet you. Family. Your hair is fantastic. By the way, his hair in real life is actually seven feet tall folks. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Alex, it's like thank, you. Superpower. thank you for being here. Thank you for being yeah. my friend. Thank you for being my unofficial older brother. Thank you for my very first cup of coffee. And thanks for generally being an all around great, cool dude. Thanks for being here. You betcha. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to season one, episode 14 of infinite quest with special guest, Alex Hogue. If you have things that you would like us to talk about on our next episode, feel free to email us at infinitequestpodcast at gmail.com. And one more time, our Patreon is patreon.com slash infinitequest. We're so close to being able to hire a regular editor so that our sound quality and everything can be consistent because, frankly, neither Katie nor I are professional sound editors and we're just kind of winging it, if you couldn't tell. Special thanks to our newest patrons, Hope, Jess, Peachy Pear, Irene, VIP patron Ben Wormers, and the best name I've ever heard, Baron Von Muffinbeard III. And to all our patrons listening, please let us know on Patreon what type of content you'd like to see there. It would really help us out. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, be kind to yourself. We'll see you next week.